So open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9. For those of you who were here last week, I left you off in the middle of the Antacama, Antacama Desert, the driest place on earth. So I left you hanging there. Do you remember that picture of the Antacama Desert? This is where NASA studies Mars. So it's so dry, it went 14 plus years without one drop of rain. And it appears very lifeless, no reason to visit, right? That's like, why would I want to go there? It's in Chile. And until March of 2015, something happened at the Anacama Desert. 14 years of rain fell in one day, March 2015, and then this happened. The Anacama Desert went from a dry, barren place to filled with wildflowers, acres and acres of wildflowers. In church, I want to set this before us as a metaphor in to an invitation to these 40 days. That could we join together, uniting our voices, raising our cry, lifting up our voice, and say collectively together, God, would you send 14 years worth of rain, rain of your spirit in a day? Because what they didn't know about the Atacama Desert was there were millions and millions of seeds that were underneath all of that apparent barrenness. And could it be that in our hearts and in our land during these days, just like the, they just needed enough water to fall on them, could it be the water of His Spirit to come during these 40 days and bring some things to life that perhaps could take our breaths away? So this journey I'm calling 714, based on 2 Chronicles 714. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hear from heaven, I'm going to forgive their sin, and I'm going to heal their land. 2 Chronicles 714. So this is a journey, church. Today's day one. I love everybody to like pull out your phones or whatever you use to kind of set your alarms and set 714 on your alarms. If you haven't done it, go ahead and do that right now. Permission, students in the room, you can permission for you to pull out your phones and set your 7.14 a.m. and p.m. alarms. And when that goes off, it's going to be a prayer prompt for these next 40 days. 7.14 in the morning, 7.14 in the evening. Just let it prompt you wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, just pause. And if you're able to, just maybe turn your palms up at that moment and just kind of take a deep breath and just whisper one line prayer. Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. Just 714 each day. And then in addition to that, uh, we've created a whole page on our website. So excited about eaglechurch.com slash prayer. So permission given for you now to start surfing through that. Those of you joining online, just go ahead and jump eaglechurch.com slash prayer. It's a resource page to mobilize us as a body to grow into a house of prayer for the nations. And so there's all kinds of things there for you. There's schedule, there's the, our upcoming Zoom prayer gatherings, there's some prayer guides, there's some help for families, there's some help, kind of prayer, um, psalm prayers to get you started that way. There's a place for you to submit prayer requests, there's a place for you to submit like answers to prayer and God's stories and how God's breaking through. Julia's doing some, um, some little devotional videos on there about prayer and those will be posted there each week. So all things 714 prayer and beyond, go to eaglechurch.com slash prayer. Because as we said that last week, 2020 is intense. This is an intense year. That's like playing pastor obvious, right? I'm like, it's intense. Living during these days is intense. Like, 
You think about on the West Coast, there's wildfires devouring the West Coast. Along the Gulf Coast, there's hurricanes and flooding devouring down south. And then across the Midwest, there's something I didn't even know the term existed, a derecho wind that just like a straight line wind across the state of Iowa just wiped out thousands and thousands of acres and farmsteads. So from west to south to Midwest, just in the like the weather patterns themselves combined with living through a global pandemic, combined with the social and racial kind of unrest and injustice that's going on, combined with the ever cycling up election realities, you put all that together, this is an intense time to be alive. And the call to God's people is this, if I understand this book at all, it seems to me when God says you hit times like this, the intensity of our prayers must surpass the intensity of the times in which we're living. So welcome to day one of a 40-day journey. Let's hit our knees. Let's raise our voice. Let's lift our cry and say, God, come send 14 years of the reign of your spirit in such a way to bring some things to life and heal our land and heal our hearts. And so that was last week, and if you weren't here last week and you missed kind of the context of it, I encourage you to uh, give a listen to the message from last week. You can find that on our website as well. And today I want to build off of that, and in the, in the messages that follow, each of those who are teaching during these weeks, we're just going to try to press in on the different themes God's putting on our heart for what it means to have the intensity of our prayers match the intensity of these times. And the story today is in Mark chapter 9. The setting of Mark 9 is this. Jesus has just come off of a Mount of Transfiguration moment. And if you know that in the biblical language, that means it was a really significant time for Jesus and a couple of his disciples. And they're coming down off that mountain. And they enter into an argument that's happening between some of the disciples down, not on the mountain, and some of the religious leaders. And the argument is about there's this boy who's demon-possessed. There's a boy who has like a, a... evil and darkness possessing him, that's throwing him into physical convulsions, that's taken over his life. This kid's life is a mess, and the dad hears about Jesus and the disciples, and they know the reputation is Jesus can heal. And his disciples try in Jesus' name to drive the demon out. And so here's the scene, Mark 9, verse 16. Jesus comes down, hears them arguing, says, what are you arguing about? Which, by the way, This is what happens in religious circles when you're lacking spiritual power to get done what God wants to get done. You turn to arguing about ideas, philosophies, and ideologies. When you lack spiritual power to get done what God, that's what's going on here. Teachers of the law, all they can do is argue. The disciples are arguing about because they can't get done. Verse 17, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son. Isn't that interesting? The guy says he brought the son to Jesus when actually he brought him to the disciples. Isn't that interesting? So his perception was, if I bring him to his inner circle, like the closest followers, it was, it was like bringing them to Jesus. He, his heart was, Jesus, I know you can heal. These are your guys. They're on team Jesus. They can, you can get this done. Who is possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. It was a mute spirit. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So that's the scene. That's the backdrop. So they're like, 
bring the, 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 bring the boy to Jesus. This dad does. A, hey, bring him to the disciples. Could you heal him? They pray. Who knows what they were doing, but they, they didn't work. And then Jesus shows up, see them all arguing about why is the spirit not leaving? And they're arguing about ideas and philosophies and all this stuff. And Jesus just steps forward and he heals the kid, casts out the demon. And the boy, he's healed, he's cured. It's an amazing scene. You can read the details there. And then at the end of that, here's what the disciples, they, they are walking back to a house and Jesus, they have a conversation. They said, uh, when he'd come into the house, his disciples asked Jesus privately, why could we not cast it out? <laughs> so they're like, what's up, Jesus? Why could we do that? So he said to them, underline your Bibles, this kind, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Some of your translations say driven out, this kind be driven out by nothing but prayer and fasting. The this kind, we all have this kind battles in our lives, right? Some of you are facing a this kind right now that there's this kind of situation that's only going to change when you hit your knees, lift your voice, and cry out in prayer and fasting. They're just some mountains that are not going to be moved. They're just some circumstances that require way beyond your own physical wisdom and strength you bring to the equation. This kind, this kind of spiritual oppression, this kind of darkness, this kind of battle, this kind of circumstance, this kind is only going to be driven out by prayer and fasting. And I wonder today what battles we're all facing that might be Jesus saying, hey, it's a this kind battle. And the reason you haven't seen a lot of movement on it is because there's a certain dynamic that needs to happen with some of them. Hey, disciples, it's not that you were doing the wrong thing. It's not that you were praying the wrong way, which is interesting, right? All the, the dialogue in Mark 9 says he only comes out by prayer and fasting. What are the two things not recorded in there of Jesus doing? He's not praying or fasting in Mark 9, which is interesting, isn't it? It tells me that Jesus has cultivated a lifestyle where he's just praying and fasting. And here in Mark 9, I didn't have to record that he paused to pray and fast over it. No, he was already in the lifestyle that way. Heavens, he just came back from the Mount of Transfiguration. And so he was already dialed in with the will of the Father, and he knew in Jesus' name he could drive out that spirit. So it's a great picture here of a this kind. And I wonder if this 40 days is a personal invitation for some of you to deal with a this kind, a personal battle, maybe in marriage, maybe with the kids, maybe on the work front and finances, maybe on the health front, maybe something in the ministry realm, maybe there's some things that just feel so out of your hands and out of control, maybe it's something in the mental, emotional health issues of anxiety and depression and isolation and what, they just feel so overwhelming, it seems like there's just no possible way for those circumstances to change, it's of this kind. And then you couple that with, I, I can't help but think about in 2020, the this kind dynamics we have as a nation and as a world right now. Church, could it be that 2020 God is using as an invitation, as a calling out to his people, that through the collective circumstance, I'm not saying God's causing all these things, I'm saying the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth uses 
all of these things to forward his purposes? And could it be the collective waves that have continued to hit and wash across our world of unrest and upheaval and chaos and all those things? Could it be that in 2020, we look back and we'll say one day, it was an invitation to human limitation. To come to the end of ourselves. To say that we're thrust into a circumstance that we can't just through the institutions of human beings figure this out. The smartest people, the strongest people all working together have come to the end of what we're able to do in just our human wisdom and strength. And could it be that 2020 God is saying, come to grips with your human limitations, fall on your knees, fall on your face and cry out to the living God. That I think prayer and fasting here this church is the posture of a people who grasp their limitations and hear this and are desperate for God. Are you desperate for God? Are we desperate for God? I know we're desperate for a vaccine. That's unquestionable. I know we're desperate for peace and justice. That's obvious. I I know we're desperate for some measure of calming of the chaotic waters in our culture. I get it. We get it. We're desperate for those things. But I wonder if God is saying to his people, are you desperate for me? Are you desperate for God? This invitation to these 40 days, I get it. It only makes sense to enter into 40 days of prayer and fasting if you're desperate for God. It makes no sense to enter into a season like this if you're not desperate for God. It's like what David Mathis said here in his writings. He says, fasting is a desperate measure for desperate times among those who were themselves desperate for God. Church, I'm desperate for God. And I wonder if the Spirit is stirring up His people to say, He wants to know who's the remnant, who's the group, not just in North America, all around the globe, who are desperate for God. Who are desperate for a fresh wind, fresh Pentecost wind to blow, for the rain of His Spirit to fall, to take those dry and barren places in our hearts and in our lands and bring to life the seeds that have been there. We can't do that in our human wisdom and strength. There are circumstances we're all thrust into that we can't just handle it alone. That is part of what I think is occurring. And the reason it's so difficult, because as North Americans, we really don't like being in control. And we really don't like being thrust into circumstances that are so far beyond our ability to fix And so at the core of it is, I think, this ongoing just chiseling away at self-life and self-reliance and self-trust and self-dependence. And when that just keeps getting chiseled away, it's just exhausting. And I think God working to just pull us to our knees. I think it's of this kind year. I think 2020 is of this kind. There's some change that needs to happen. There's some mountains that need to be moved that, candidly speaking, are not going to change until God's people hit their knees, raise their voice, lift up their cry, 
in prayer and fasting. For mostly desperate for Him. And now the overflow of that, seeing all kinds of things change. And so I know some of you are thinking like, man, Pastor Eric, like 40 days of prayer is a pretty high bar to hit, and now you're adding fasting to it? Like, are you crazy? I mean, prayer and fasting. That's, that's, when you look at the scriptures, it seems as if the people of God in relationship with God, when they are desperate for Him, there's a pattern. There's a seeking of God in combination with fasting. It's not just praying. There's like a a theme through, and I put the summary in your notes. If you haven't downloaded or pulled up your note sheet yet, you can scan the code in front of you to get it. But I put this little summary here of just kind of a little history. Exodus 34, Moses, he's praying, he's fasting on Mount Sinai. He's trying to come to grips with all that God is doing in that setting. And at the end of his 40 days of fasting and praying, God gives him the Ten Commandments. That's Exodus 34. How about Esther? Esther's fasting in Esther 4 because she's going before the king, and it's the classic line that she uses, if I perish, I perish. She's going to ask for like the king to intervene and save the Jewish people. So Esther fasts, and she asks the Jews to fast for her before she goes to the king, Esther chapter 4. Or how about David? You can look at 2 Samuel 12. David is fasting after he's confronted by Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. The confrontation of the sin, he falls on his face and it says David fasted. He was calling out to God to get things set right in his heart. And then in the New Testament, you've got Anna in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, it says Anna's a prophetess. She's a widow. It says that she was fasting and praying and worshiping God in the temple. It was like her home. She lived there. And it was Anna the prophetess who after Mary and Joseph, they brought Jesus in to dedicate him in the temple. Guess who got to see the Christ child? Anna, a woman who was fasting and praying for years and years and years. And then Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 3, he's baptized. Matthew chapter 4, the Holy Spirit leads him out in the wilderness. 40 days he's fasting in battle with Satan, an intense spiritual battle, much like the image that Mickey painted. That's kind of the desert scene that Jesus was encountering. He was grasping. And to battle through that, to battle through his this kind moment, he's fasted for 40 days. And then you can look at Acts 13, the church of Acts. It says that the church was getting together and they were fasting and they were praying and they were worshiping. It says the Holy Spirit spoke to him and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to. So all through these themes, right, from, from Moses to Esther to David to Anna to Jesus to the early church, there's this theme running that to be the people of God who were desperate for Him, who were hungry for Him, who were seeking Him, is to be a people who are working the muscles of fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. And the definition of biblical fasting is this. It's a pretty simple and straightforward, and I put it in your notes this way. It's refraining from food for spiritual purposes. And this is why Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, which we adhere and revere and submit and celebrate all those teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, so well respected of Jesus' teaching. Well, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, he says, when you give to the needy, 
He's telling his followers, when you give to the needy, in verse 2. In verse 5, he says, when you pray. And then verse 16, when you fast. I find it ironic for us as followers of Jesus. We don't tend to have a lot of pushback about caring for and giving to the needy, like the marginalized, those who need help, those who are overlooked and forgotten, like followers of Jesus have a heart to care and to give to the needy. Yes and amen. No problem on that one. And when you pray, yes and amen, we should be a people of prayer. It tends to be, yes, amen, people of prayer. But then we get to verse 16, Jesus says, when you fast, everybody's like, ooh, 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 peace out, you know. But Jesus seemed to have this picture like, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast. I read the Sermon on the Mount and go, Jesus seems to have a baseline expectation that if I'm going to follow him and be his disciple, I'm going to learn this rhythm of fasting and praying and giving to the needy and all these other things. Like, that's just a a part of it. And it is a challenging discipline, that's why. But there's something so significant, I think, that Jesus is getting at something deep down in the cores of it as we refrain from food for the purpose of kind of moving things forward spiritually. Like you can fast for, I put in your notes, like you fast to get to know God more. Like you're desperate to know God. Like I want to know Him more. I want to go to my next steps in my spiritual walk. Or some of you are facing a big decision in your life right now. You fast for wisdom on decisions that you're facing. Or you fast for a breakthrough over a sin pattern. Maybe there's something that's got some claws in your life and you fast to see a breakthrough that something would loosen its grip. Or you fast for strength in the midst of a battle you're in. You're just feeling like, man, you're just exhausted. You're just overwhelmed. You feel like you're running into a brick wall on something. You fast for strength in that. Or you fast for a more focused prayer over the situation that you're facing. So there's kind of two rhythms in the fasting. Do you see that when you refrain from food, you redirect your time for spiritual purposes? That's kind of the first rhythm of fasting. That you take the time you would spend preparing the food, eating the food, cleaning up from the food, thinking about food, all things related to food. You take that time and that space and that energy and you redirect it for spiritual purposes. So very practically how we do that is for some of you, you'd like to take a deeper dive in Scripture during these days. Use these 40 days to do that. For others of you, you've got a book on your nightstand that's kind of in that spiritual devotional category and you've been wanting to get that read. This is a good time to press into that. Or maybe go on a prayer walk and just get outside and begin to turn your heart towards God and what's on his heart. Or pull out your journal. Maybe there's some things you've been wanting to journal about. Like you, you take the time, it's a redirection of time that you would be devoting to food, and that's what you're repurposing. That's the first kind of movement in fasting. And then secondly, you combine that with, there's like a, a reframing, right, like of the food, the reframing from food like works, to, works the muscles of self-denial. Like you become less of a slave to your appetites. Here's what Richard Foster said. I put this quote in your notes. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things. So you see in fasting, you kind of redirect, you refrain from food to redirect your time, and then you also work the muscles of self-denial and kind of loosen the grips of all the caving to your appetites, the stuff. It's the cover-up techniques. We've all got kind of cover-up techniques with our lives and food being a big one that keeps stuff pushed down inside of here. It reminded me several years ago, um, 
I wanted to get some quiet space. I wanted to spend some time focused and seeking God. And those of you who know me well know that then I try to find monasteries. So I remember I got online and several years ago I was surfing, looking for like some of the monasteries that would take, they call us retreatants. Retreatants could come and visit the monasteries. Certain monasteries allow you to go and visit and spend time. And so I was searching and I, I came across one monastery, www.monks.org. Did you know that? There's, that's actually a website. It's the Abbey of Gethsemane Monastery in Kentucky. Monks.org. It's where Thomas Merton spent a lot of his time and did a lot of his writings. And I was intrigued by it. It was close enough, three and a half, four hours away. And so I called them. I found out they do four-day retreats. You have to sign up for a minimum of four days as a guest. I said, okay, I can do that. And then they, then they said, and you make a vow of silence upon entering the property. So, oh, wow. I wonder what that's going to be like. I've never done that before. I said, I'm in. So I remember driving down there. I go down to Abbey of Gethsemane. Here's a picture, by the way, of the, there are about 50 monks who live there. And I remember pulling up to the property, and I remember there was a big gate as you're walking up to like the guest house. On the, on, the, on the header of the gate, it just says, seek God. I thought, you just knew you were in a different place, you know. And I walk in, and there's a monk sitting beside the desk, and he was just sitting there reading. And I walked up, and I introduced myself and said I was here for a retreat, and he pulled out information, and I, and I said, hey, is there like a, a map of the property at all? It's a lot of acres there, and he pulled out a map, and I said, is there a schedule like of worship services? Because I hear that they worship like seven times a day. The first service, I think, was 3.15 a.m. every day, and they sing the Psalms together, and so I just wanted to join in. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do the 3.15 a.m. one, but I just wanted to know like what times they were gathering, so he pulled out a schedule, and now, now, understand, he didn't say a word in this whole thing. He just, you know, moving his hands out. And he, I asked another question, and he just took the key. He set the key up on the counter, and he said, that's probably enough talking for now. Huh. I just said, probably. <laughs> probably. It's all I could come up with. Took my key, took my little suitcase, headed up to my room, and I found out that you could schedule an hour during your four days to break the vow of silence and meet with one of the monks. They called it spiritual direction. I said, oh, I'm in with that. I want to meet with one of these guys. And so I scheduled, I signed up for a time. I told you to go to this certain room, and I sat there. It was just a really simple room. And, and in walked this gentleman, Father Matthew Kelty. Father Matthew's there. He's 88 years old. He's since passed away. Um, but I had a good visit with him. He'd been there for 52 years. Nice short stay, huh? 52 years. And I, thought, I was thinking about all the things I wanted to chat with him about. I, I asked him after, he said, how long have you been here? He said, well, 52 years, but I had to take a break from the monastery during some of that. I said, what do you mean? He says, it's pretty noisy around here. I said, really? He said, yeah, I just had to get away from some of the noise. I wanted to get like some solitude and silence. I needed uh, to get away. So I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I went and lived as a hermit. I said, what does that mean? He said, I lived all by myself. I thought maybe like a month or two or whatever for eight years. In Indonesia, Father Matthew, I'm just sitting with him. My mind's racing through all the things I want to talk about. Like, and we talked about prayer, and we talked about the Psalms, we talked about silence, we talked about Merton. He was one of like Merton's friends. He was kind of a little bit of a spiritual advisor for Thomas Merton. And he said, "Oh, Merton could be really cranky at times." He said, <laughs> "He said we just kind of left Merton alone at times. We were trying to help his formation that way. I loved it. It was great." And uh, then he told me uh, the story about. As monks, when retreatants like us come, 
they invite us into four days for a reason. I knew there was thought behind why four days. And he said that the volume of noise that we live with and become accustomed to, it takes time to kind of detox from the noise. And he said, it's not uncommon that retreatants in the middle of the night, the monks said they would look out their little cell where they live and they could see the parking lot and they could see different individuals in the middle of the night with their suitcase, loading up their car, packing up and driving away. And Father Matthew said this, he said, Eric, this space, when you come here, and if you'll stay in it long enough, there's some stuff down here that the silence and the worship gatherings and the psalms and the praying, stuff starts coming up. It's the stuff that God wants dealt with. It's the stuff God wants to, to work through. But sometimes in that space, the response of the people is, they just, his image was this. He said, but many, they can't handle it. So they get in their cars, they slide on their headphones, and they turn up the noise. And they push it back down. You know, food does that. Entertainment does that. Travel does that. Technology does that. All these things that we have available and accessible to us, that they're kind of like cover-up techniques. And so the invitation of these 40 days into this season of prayer and fasting is to, it's a, it's a combination, right? There's a combination of, I want to invite us to open up the this kind battles that we're all facing, individually or collectively. And I'd love you to spend some time this week maybe getting clear on what's your this kind. Did you feel like the Lord's saying, hey, this is what I want you to fast and pray for breakthrough in? And then underneath that, there's another layer that says, are you, are you desperate for God? Is there, a, is there a hunger for God? Is there something beyond the, the food itself that when the hunger pain strikes, if you choose to enter into, then you just go, I'm going to leverage it to seek God. And I'm going to stay in that space and allow whatever needs to surface to surface. I'm not going to cover it up. I'm going to repurpose my time. I'm going to redirect my appetites, and I'm going to seek God. And if you've never fasted before, so here's what I want to encourage you to get started. I would encourage you to pick three days this week. Pick three days a week to start. Pick one meal on those three days. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Pick a meal, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and fast from one meal. Still drink water or juice or whatever you need to to kind of keep your uh, wits about you, but just one meal and take the hour you would have spent prepping, eating, cleaning up, all that. Take the time around that and redirect it to the things we're discussing here. Get in God's Word some more, spend some time on a prayer walk, read some spiritual books, have that conversation with a trusted friend about things of the soul, whatever, repurpose it. And then seek God in the midst of it, like stay with it long enough to let some things like begin to bubble up. Can we do that together? Many of you have never, maybe never tried fasting before. That's why I'd encourage you to start. Just start. Three days a week, one meal for those, those of you who are more experienced at it. You find your own rhythms that way, whether you do it every day, one meal, every day, however you want to do it. 
It's between you and God. This isn't like we're not publishing all that we're doing on it. I'm just inviting us in to some rhythm of this that we're going to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to seek God together over these 40 days. Because I happen to believe that 2 Chronicles 7.14 is still a promise for today. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. I believe God can still do that. And I believe it's a call out to his people. And much like Mickey's painting reminded us of, church, if we could just get one window into what happens when we pray, I don't think we'd ever cease to pray. Just one little window into that. And so I want you to jump in on this. Those of you joining us online, whatever part of the country you're in, you jump in and join us this way. Stay dialed in with us through the eaglechurch.com slash prayer page. We're going to do some Zoom prayer gatherings like Tuesdays and Thursdays at noon, Wednesdays, 6 a.m. Jump on and be a part of those if you can. That would be a great way. Those of you who are outside this geographic area, it's an easy way for you to, to plug in that way along with the 714 prayer. And then we've all going to form circles of five. Do you have your circle of five? I mentioned this last week. So I'd love for every person to form a circle of five, five individuals or five families that you're going to devote yourself to consistently pray for, kind of fasting and praying for your circle of five, that you're going to ask the Lord to help you pray and intercede for them. They can be somebody very closely connected to you. They can be people outside of the body itself, what, just five people that God would want you to fast and pray. All of us have our circles of five. And wouldn't it be cool to share some stories? I'm just expecting God to like show up and break through and break in in some ways. And I happen to believe this at the core of the whole thing, that could it be that on this journey, that the Atacama Desert, that this, V, put that old slide back up, that the one, you know, the old, that, that if that's a picture of kind of the landscape of some of our hearts, certainly a landscape spiritually of our land these days, that that can become this. I believe God can still do that. And I believe our role in it is to fall on our knees, to lift up our voice, and to raise our cry. Are you with me in it? Let's do this together. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, so here we stand on the precipice of these 40 days. Here we are. I believe this is what you've led us to and called us to. And pray that you would help us. Think about those early disciples when they came to you and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us what it means to be a house of prayer, a people of prayer. And for many of us, stretch us into a new discipline of fasting and prayer. That we'd see some things driven out during these 40 days in Jesus' name. Drive out some stuff from our hearts that needs to be driven out for your glory. Drive out some stuff that's going on maybe in some family dynamics that needs to be driven out. I believe you can and will. You can drive out some addictions. You can drive out some sin patterns. You can drive out some things that have had its claws too deep, too long. And then certainly as a nation and as a world, we need you to come through in power and drive out. So call us, Lord, into this time of prayer. May we lift up our voice and lift up our cry and lift up our eyes. We heed your call to prayer and we say, yes, Lord. 
yes and amen. I ask it in Jesus' name.